Hi guys, welcome back to The Lavender Lifestyle, the podcast on lifestyle design for millennials. My name's Eileen and I'm here to guide you to become a master artist of life. You can create the life that you've always imagined. Life is an art. Make it your masterpiece. Today, we have a special guest with us who's invented a new tech accessory that can help you break your bad habits. His name is Manish Sethi, and Manish spent four years traveling Europe, South America, and Asia before moving to Boston three years ago. He's the CEO and founder of Pavlock, the behavior training wristband that changes habits with vibration, beep, and electric biofeedback. You can check it out at buy.pavlock.com. That's spelled B. B-U-Y-dot-P-A-V-L-O-K-dot-com. What's up, Manish? It's a pleasure to chat with you. Um, I'm going to create a little uh, link for everybody who's on this podcast. Um, so if you go to pavlock.com slash lavender after uh, this this interview, you'll hear, you'll see more information and have a discount on whatever we're talking about and all that stuff. Awesome. So um, I'd love to get started. It's a pleasure to meet you. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here. I'm so excited to like pick your brain. You have so many interesting things to talk about, I'm sure. So you have such an impressive background. I did my homework and you went to Stanford. You wrote four books, including an international bestseller called Game Programming for Teens, which you wrote mm-hmm. when you were 14 years old, right? Yeah. Yeah, and you also run a travel and self-improvement blog called Hack the System. Yeah, I used to. So first, oh, you used to, so not anymore. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it merged into what I do today. It became what I do today. I see. Yeah, so between all of these things that you've done, what was the driving force behind it? What was your why? So I would say the why I've only discovered recently um, I could, when I, if you'd asked me that question a few years ago, I would have had much different responses. I would have said that the act of me taking a leave of absence from Stanford and, and traveling the world was a discovery that, that there was more to the, to the world than the U S and that different people acted mm-hmm. in different ways and that I could explore cultures and learn languages and feel like a, um, like instead of living one life, I could live many lives. I also would have answered that it's never been easier than today and each year it gets easier and easier. And if what you gets easier? travel, um, yeah. like when I started traveling, there was no Skype. It took till the second year I was having a wireless call with my dad on video chat <laughs> and it was mind boggling. Yeah. And, um, and now it's so easy. I was playing with free international 3G inter- or 2G internet with T-Mobile. I was playing Pokemon Go while walking through France in August yeah. and you could just do it now. And so um, it's never been easier, but the biggest thing that inspired me was reading this uh, article that a friend of mine had written and he had just turned 18 and he interviewed a bunch of people he respected, CEOs and entrepreneurs and asked them uh, if they were 18 again, what would they tell themselves? And there were two answers that were by far the most common. And the first one was, I wish I had traveled when I was younger. Mm. And the second one was, I wish I had kissed the girl. <laughs> and, but in general, it seemed to be like when you're in your early 20s, there's an unlimited potential. You can do everything. And most importantly, you're not encumbered by any sort of real commitment other than possibly student loans. There's this internal American fear of, of traveling the world, uh, or I'm sorry, of, of doing, of going abroad without having something that they're planning when they get back. Yeah. Uh, and that fear is not, is only a cultural, uh, is an artifact of American culture and it doesn't mm. exist anywhere else. And so those would have been my reasons back then. 
But if you were to ask me my reason today of why it all happened, I would say it has to do a lot with my personality, my fear of silence, my addiction to distraction, and my... You were um, running away from something, you think? So I was running away from silence, if that makes any sense. Right. Uh, Essentially, I'm extremely ADHD, and Uh. that is not a bad thing. The biggest misconception is that ADHD is a bad thing. It's a different mode of thinking, and it can be harnessed for great powers. But my understanding of myself was I like to do big things and then kind of get started and make them pretty cool to talk about. And then like getting, but sitting down in front of my laptop to just write was the most impossible thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So in my four and a half years of travel, my, I had one goal for my, I had one very specific goal. I wanted to exercise three times a week, at least once a week. And I wanted to write two blog posts a week. And I think I hit that goal twice in five years, <laughs> four and a half years. That's hilarious. And so that understanding of uh, – so as I progressed through my blog and through my travels, I started to write more about the things that I was interested in, right? And the thing I was most interested in was uh, my own productivity and my own habits. And I started to – I studied back at Stanford. I studied in, uh, with a professor named BJ Fogg who's uh, got a habit lab and he writes a lot about the psychology of habits. And I was fascinated by this. And so – as I started to travel, um, I wrote a lot about uh, – the site was called Hack the System. And I started to do a lot of testing on myself of things that I could adjust in my own life that would cause a, uh, a change, in a massive change in my productivity. And I've always believed that you need to measure and monitor things. So I began to monitor my productivity using this app called Rescue Time. Uh, oh, the app- that. Oh, cool. That. Mm-hmm. Cool. So they integrate with Pavlock now. Uh, and yeah. originally I did it because I was tracking my productivity. I averaged about 38% productivity mm-hmm. and a day, which is per eight hours a day. means I'm spending like four or five hours a day on, you know, Facebook and Twitter and, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and I did an experiment. I said, okay, let me hire some, let me hire this person. Her job is she's going to sit down next to me. I'm going to tell her at the beginning of the day and the week, what we're going to do this week. And if I get off task, She's going to nudge me. She's going to tap me. And if I don't pay attention to her, she can slap me in the face. And is this a complete stranger that you found? Just a girl on Craigslist. So you made her sit with you all day, every day? Yeah, for two weeks. And for two weeks. I tracked the productivity and I wrote about my experience. Mm-hmm. The result was phenomenal. My productivity was in the 98% range. And most wow. importantly, it was the things that I commit to at the beginning of every week. Like that big, important guest post that you can write whenever you get the time or that article mm-hmm. that you think would be a good submission. She would, like Those were the tasks that I've been putting off for six months or a year, and the act of having her sit down next right. to me made me finish them in two days. And it became like a... Yeah. a so anyway, that became my mindset. If I can figure out a way to get someone to work with me, I can get so much done. It's like a personal trainer for my right. life. Is it because you have a person sitting next to you physically that it just... Nud- or was it because she had to like nudge you or slap you? It's both. It's the fear of the nudge and the snap. Like... like um, you know, if you, if you have a friend who's telling you to go to the gym and uh, you're both going to go and he's reminding you, but you know nothing will happen if you don't go. Yeah, it's not a big deal. Like you get a push notification from an app mm-hmm. and you know there's no real consequence. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't motivate you after a couple of days when your motivation yeah, wins. That's true. But <laughs> when you have an accountability person and a person who's like responsible and there's a, a negative reinforcer, they can, they can do something. Mm-hmm. Suddenly the conversation in the brain changes. And it's all inertial. It's like once you get started on something as an ADD person, 
you can focus as long as there's someone in the room keeping you there, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and also I feel like uh, we gain energy from talking to people. So that sort of stuff became like a, uh, that, that became the beginning, the genesis of what Pavlock was. A few months mm-hmm. later, I was calling a friend of mine and I said, dude, why am I paying this girl to slap me in the face? What if I just made a dog shock collar that could shock me every time I went on Facebook? I, and so I had a dog collar and I, I called my friend and he said, uh, let's go to Radio Shack. <laughs> and so we did. He, he uh, hacked together this little, um, like we took a remote control from a dog collar and then we wired it in an Arduino and in a super ugly ghetto way. It was, uh, uh, if I went on Facebook, it would signal the two wires to close and it would zap me. And oh, we made wow. a short, it's about four or five hours. And uh, wow. we shot a video of it I was going to post on my blog. And mm-hmm. as I posted it, before I hit the submit button, I thought to myself, this is interesting. There's a million wearables out there that track what we do, mm-hmm. but this one is changing what I do. Maybe yeah. there's something big here. And that was the big insight for Pavlock. Awesome. For our audience, let's explain what exactly is Pavlock. How does it work? And just really sell it to me. Sure. Um, at our core, Pavlock is a product of our company. Our company, Behavioral Technology Group, is a company that focuses on create on helping human beings hit their goals and make behavioral change that lasts. Um, we found that we have a, a, a methodology of changing behavior that involves a uh, push and pull of accountability, of positive and negative reinforcement. It's just this the system we have built in place. And Pavlock is our product that helps maintain positive behavior. So Pavlock is this little tiny modular device that sits inside of either a wristband or a watch clip, or you can kind of stick it to your arm with our stickers. And it vibrates, beeps, and can release an electrical impulse at varying frequencies. The vibration, and, and, uh, uh, vibration is kind of a positive reinforcer. The beeping sound can be like a reward as well as like a warning. And typically our version of our electrical stimulus is a negative reinforcer. Right. So what's more powerful, positive reinforcement or negative? That question doesn't really make sense um, because it's obviously based around – so let me, let me tell you the answer because I know that most people under – most people have heard negative reinforcement doesn't work as well as positive reinforcement. Mm -hmm. That means – okay. For changing a behavior one time, a fear of loss or a fear of consequence is more powerful than a potential for reward. Mm. So, for example, uh, if, I, if I say to somebody, hey, I'll give you $5 if you go outside and do 20 push-ups, there's a less likelihood that they'll say yes if instead I took $5 out of their wallet and said, mm. I'll give this back to you if you do 10 push-ups. Yeah. Another good example is work. So if I, a negative reinforcer is, um, if I don't go to work on time, I will be fired. Yeah. So that's another example of motivation. So you notice that like at the beginning of a new habit, like going to work, right? You don't want to be late to work because you're going to get in trouble. Mm -hmm. So the negative reinforcer of getting fired or in trouble is the motivator at the beginning of a habit. Now, once the habit is is beginning, once the inertia is in place, after the first week or two, you get into the habit of going because of a consistency, just how habits work is that they get, you get used to doing things that you do every day. And secondly, there's positive reinforcers at work. Your friends are there, you have conversations, you get to do stuff, your boss rewards you, whatever it is. So we found that the beginning of changing a habit, negative reinforcement works. And as you increase towards the habit breaking point, the level of automaticity, when a habit becomes a habit, that 
switches over to positive reinforcement. And so it's a push and pull of both. Okay. So you're saying, but if you want to break a habit, like breaking like a smoking addiction, Mm -hmm. that is considered like the beginning because you're using negative. Yeah. So this is interesting. So now breaking Mm -hmm. a bad habit is different than forming a new habit. Mm, So when, uh, so when I was talking about what our company does, we focus on helping people change their behaviors. And we found that our product has a very powerful methodology to breaking a bad habit. So forming a new habit is about operant conditioning. If you're familiar with psychology, that's the positive and negative reinforcement, Mm -hmm. punishment, and reward. Now, classical conditioning is the Pavlov's dogs experiment, if people remember. You ring a bell and you show a dog some food and the dog begins to associate the two together. Mm -hmm. For humans, this happens a lot. Like uh, if you get a ring from your – if you change your ringtone for uh, a girlfriend or a boyfriend – uh, or a husband or wife, uh, the sound of that ringtone makes you feel happy or sad. Yeah, interesting. Uh, and so that's a classical conditioner for humans. Uh, mm-hmm. The best one for humans is money. Money mm-hmm. used to be an exchange for something else, and now it became its own version of good. Um, right. So we found that's interesting for bad habits, that you can use classical conditioning in a very powerful way to break bad habits for good. And the way that it works is what's called aversion therapy or aversive conditioning, It was a popular type of therapy that was done in the 1960s through the early 90s, and it just disappeared from America in the mid-1990s. Why? Uh, Long story, but essentially, it's actually like, I tell tell a story a lot, and uh, I want to make a movie about this someday. It's fascinating. But it had to do with positive psychology and the leader of positive psychology, and they tried to find old experiments that were, uh, you know, not successful, that um, they, you know, if 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 you say the word shock, it scares people, yeah. and he was, they, so uh, basically, one guy tried to scare America into get into moving completely towards give every kid a trophy, um, everybody mm. say only nice things. Yeah. And yeah. So anyway, back. To, so here's what happened. So our company was focused around reproducing this uh, Craigslist slapper. If I go on Facebook, shock me. If I don't go to the gym, shock me. Right. Um, yes. But about a year into the company, our software was not working, and our hardware was great. And one night I was with my friends and we started Googling stuff and we discovered this concept of aversion therapy. And I started going down this rabbit hole of searching all of the scholar.google.com, like old clinical studies. And we found these 21 trials that showed the efficacy of aversive conditioning. And the one big study, the, the, the smoking gun was this, uh, <laughs> the smoking gun, which is a cool pun. I'm going to use that again, was a study <laughs> on smoking. Um, right. So we found a study out of a Shikshadal treatment facility over in Seattle where they took, uh, eight, they took about uh, 832 subjects who went through a clinical quit smoking program, did five days of aversive conditioning where they would sit with a doctor. The doctor would say, smoke a cigarette while you get zapped. At the same time as he uh, brought the cigarette to his mouth, he got a zap. Mm-hmm. At the same time he brought a cigarette to his mouth, he got a zap. And uh, then they did one more session a week later. And after a year, they interviewed these people. And greater than half had never smoked a cigarette again. Because <laughs> they're scared. <laughs> well, because the association becomes an aversion. Yeah. Perhaps you know someone who got too drunk one night and then got sick and now they can't drink tequila or mm-hmm. some kind yes. of drink. Um, there's a sensation in the chest, in the center of the stomach that you feel. It's like a cringe feeling. Um, Mm. and we figured out that you can create that sensation using Pavlok. So instead of getting sick and not liking alcohol, you can choose the stimulus you'd like to stop liking. 
And by simply being zapped for five days through our five day uh, through our seven day program, five days of treatment, you uh, uh, five days of using the zap, you uh, create this aversive association, and so that's what we do. And I know a bit, a question you probably get really often is like, how do you even get the person to zap themselves in the first place? You know, because what if someone just <laughs> doesn't want to do it to himself? So if you don't want to quit, you don't want to quit. But uh, what you're getting at is this in this debate about how does the product work? Is it how does it know? Does it zap us? How does the process work? So we have taken a big step back this quarter and realized that um, there is this problem that people don't. Okay, so if you want to get yourself to work out, why don't you just work out? Right? It's so simple. Why don't you just do it? But right. it's hard. There's it's this hard. weird. It's hard, right? But it's not that hard, right? It's it shouldn't be. It's hard to logically. make a habit out of it. It's. Well, I mean, it's hard, like just to in your brain to do stuff because your brain is mm. not so human as you think it is. Your brain yeah. is a lot more animal than you are. And your brain likes what it likes and it doesn't like what it doesn't like. But what I'm getting at is this. The device is a training tool. You put it on and you go through our program. And all the program says is for seven days, you listen to our audio course each day. That's mm. it. The audio course, you hit play. It tells you what to do. And then it tells you to start doing the bad habit. You start biting mm-hmm. your nails on purpose. And the device oh, will automatically zap you during those sessions. They're like set audio sessions. Oh, okay. I see. So it's a program. Yeah, it's I a program. See. And then throughout the rest of the day, whenever you get the desire or the urge, you press the button yourself in order to reduce the urge. The I see. So I think that that's what helps. You have a program that goes with the wristband. I didn't know mm-hmm. about that. So taking a step back, that's the bad habit angle. And recently we've realized that bad habits are not as easy as not as uh, it, it, medically it's more powerful and probably we like the stuff we want to do and the stuff we want to say we can't say because it's like bad habits are kind of a medical issue mm. but we have realized that our product is being used in different ways and in particular it's being used to wake up on time yeah um and we found that the the zap is extremely useful for making you aware of what's going on in the scenario so if you're getting tired at the end of the day, I usually zap myself two or three times to be focused on a meeting. <laughs> I imagine um, it's like fight or flight, you know, it, it really wakes you up. It wakes you up. And, uh, and what's cool is our new product, the, the wake up trainer is designed to help people start getting out of bed. Um, and so basically we found that we, we, with our product, you start, uh, we have the same app. You have like sleep and habit. And in the sleep section, you make yourself, when you go to sleep, it starts to track your evening routine. It tracks your sleeping cycles. You get a cool graph of your sleep data, and then it starts to vibrate and wake you up in your early stage of sleep. Mm-hmm. And then as it wakes you up, depending on your settings, you can have a, a silent wristband that wakes you up. But um, there's a feature where it vibrates to wake you up, and then you have one minute to get out of bed and do jumping jacks, or else it starts to zap you. Oh. And it detects that motion? It detects the motion. And so just this morning, like I thought like last night I went to sleep at like two and I was like, oh, I'm not going to set my alarm today. I don't need to wake up. And then at 6 a.m. because the device said I accidentally set it to, to, to re- repeat the alarm, yeah. I woke up at six and I'm like, oh, shit, okay, I got to get out of bed. I'm going to do the jumping jacks, but I'm going to go right back uh-huh. to sleep. And then as soon as you do the jumping jacks, I mean, you're you awake. you can just take off the wristband. <laughs> yeah, but there's a, of course you can, but it's like, you could also just get out of bed, right? Yeah. All right. But it's a weird feeling. And what you just said is uh, interesting because people are not like alive in the morning. They're not human. Right. So we're working on like anklets, which is really, really popular <laughs> because they can't quite get it off. Right. Um, or it knows when it's on you and it just does other stuff. So there's negative consequences if you take it off. That's but so regardless, mm-hmm. yeah, regardless, the whole point is it's about once you set a commitment, there should be a consequence if you fail. Yeah. And that consequence will spur behavior in a powerful way. 
Mm, I see. Okay, so I know that you went on Shark Tank, the TV show, and mm-hmm. I watched just a clip, just your pitch and the response to your pitch. So yeah, it was a tough crowd, man. It, they crowd. Did not like, <laughs> they did not like you. I felt bad for you. I, I think, mm-hmm. was it Mark Cuban who was like calling you a con artist? And mm-hmm. they were just really harsh. And I just want to ask, like, how was that experience? Was it dramatized? Just tell me all oh about it. Oh my gosh, so <laughs> dramatized. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, I, and I want the stuff I want to tell you, I can't legally say because uh, the, the Shark Tank is, but I'll tell you what I can say. So um, basically, I was surprised at, okay, I think the whole situation, if you watch the show, it's the, I think the most viewed clip ever on their, on their Facebook site, on their Facebook page. <laughs> and like, uh, it was the season finale of last season. And, mm. you know, I went in with my product and I went in, this was last September before we had people using the product. Yeah. Um, and, I went in and I presented the studies and I talked about the science and then they focused on the fact that I was using studies about aversive conditioning instead of my own studies that I'd done on my own mm-hmm. product. And if I were to tell you what I really think it was, it was like an alpha dog fight. It was like Mark it Cuban was. was having a bad day and he yeah. didn't like one thing. And he, you could see in the eyes of all the people that they started off loving the product. All, all, uh, the way I describe mm-hmm. it is this. Mark Cuban is Mufasa Mr. Wonderful is Scar, and the other three are the hyenas. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what happened is Mark Cuban didn't like it, and suddenly they all didn't like it. And Mr. Wonderful was just waiting there. I don't know if you saw the second clip. Mr. Wonderful gives me I an did. offer. I turn him down. And you didn't take it. And then he curses me out. I why. Yeah. <laughs> well, the reason so why, why. Why didn't you take it? Because it was evident the second after, he, after I turned him down, he started cursing at me saying, F mm-hmm. you, you a-hole, get out of yeah. here. Do you want an investor like that? There's a couple other reasons. The main one is um, he's on a video on YouTube saying that 3.5 people living in poverty of a dollar a day is a good thing and that we should celebrate mm-hmm. poverty as it makes them strive, as well as uh, some other stuff about how he uh, got his company sold that you should read online. I can't say too much more. Right. And um, he wasn't the right partner. Getting a, uh, Probably after yeah. uh, having a poor uh, choice of a wife or husband – Having a poor choice of a business partner and investors right right there. That's and, smart. I agree. Yeah, and so that was why. And ever since then, we've done great. Like we make we make as much we made as much uh, the month that we were on that we made as much as the the request that he had uh, the, the amount of money that we asked for. We, we so you we, would have been able to pay him back, say if you took his investment. Yeah, I would have been able to pay him back, but that's I mean I was able to pay him back. I mean I, I was able to make my company do what I wanted to without taking any money or paying him back. So I think that I, I yeah. did the right thing. Yeah, no, I think so too. That's great. My the way I say it is this, uh maybe I'm crazy, but imagine mm-hmm. you were to watch Shark Tank five years ago and Uber was there. And they're mm-hmm. like, This is the stupidest idea ever. You could just take a you there's just taxis everywhere, there's regulations. And he's like Yeah. The way I see it is in three or four years, it'll be a really good um, thing to point back to. And also, they, 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 the main reason that Mark Cuban was not happy with our product was the fact that we didn't run clinical trials on our own product, yeah. that we were using studies of aversive conditioning that other people had done, which is totally how science works, and clinical trials cost millions of dollars. But yeah. he is right that we will be trusted a lot more once we have actual medical data mm-hmm. upon our own product and not upon just the science of aversive conditioning. Yeah. And because of that, he's spurring us to start focusing a lot on trials next year. Uh, so I personally have started doing a master's now oh, at Harvard Extension School in clinical psych. Mm. And I'm trying to run my own experiments and uh, getting this thing to be a fully on good, medically evident product that really helps people and it's trusted. That's our goal next year. Yeah, that's awesome. 
All right. So moving on, I heard that you were roommates with Tim Ferriss, the writer of Four Hour <laughs> yeah. Workweek. Is that true? Uh, it was more than yeah. I was uh, <laughs> sleeping on his couch for two months. So ah, okay, I see. I was the right hand man for his launch of the Four Hour Chef in nice. 2012. Nice. And so I basically lived with him for two months, doing all the marketing. You know, sometimes I had to write, write call, like call some like millionaire. Other days I was ironing shirts. <laughs> and um, helping him launch, and it was a fantastic experience, and he's a, a pretty interesting human being. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you've learned like a ton of things just from being around him and knowing him. Can you share some of those lessons? Yeah, one of the things, I, I wrote an article called The Tim Ferriss Effect, and, <laughs> um, or The Tim Ferriss Superpower, actually. And uh, the thing that he did was every time he got in a taxi, he would pull out his phone and call like, six people he would just be on calls like using his time wisely right and it was it was more than time wisely it was making calls yeah that's what blew me away because i feel like our generation is afraid of the phone and i am too and the act of making a call closes loops and he was able to close six loops at a time wow so that was fascinating um yeah i mean his his ability to um, choose a project and then create a system towards it Mm -hmm. was mind-boggling can you describe um, that a little bit? Like, how does that, like, does he just intuitively know how to yeah. process things? Yeah. So, like, in personality typing, I think he's an INTJ, if you know Myers and Myers Briggs, yeah. which is kind of like yeah. the scientist type. And they kind of, they're also systems thinkers. So, the mm-hmm. way that they envision the world is a process, XYZ. And the reason we got well, uh, got along well is because I'm the opposite. I'm a um, broad vision thinker, I'm an ENTP, mm-hmm. and I kind of can't see systems but i can throw things against the wall and brainstorm some mm-hmm. of the most creative ideas you'll ever see yeah and the combination of the two works really well together and so um i learned maybe not from him but i learned around the same time that combining that it's that everything you think you are bad at typically instead of fixing it a better way to solve the problem is to surround yourself with someone who does that naturally yes and that was a breakthrough nice all right and then I heard that you have a passion for music and you DJ. <laughs> I like to bring that up because I love music and I produced music in the past. Like, talk about how you even make time for music if you still do, and like how you DJed in Berlin. Sure. Uh, so in Berlin, I, back in Hack the System days in 2011, I did. Um, I was there for six months studying abroad first for like my last quarter back at Stanford. And I decided to stay the summer there. I, and my uh, my friend and I were uh, we both had DJing equipment, and we both like kind of liked DJing, and neither of us knew how really. And so we decided <laughs> let's do a YouTube show called uh, "Let's Ninety Days Ninety Days to Get uh, to Become a Famous Berlin DJ." Let's see what happens. Yeah. And he and I uh, started doing all the tactics we knew in marketing: buying ads, buying. Uh, we bought Facebook fans, and we created a fake uh... booking agency. We called up a club, uh, clubs in Berlin, saying, "Hi, I'm Will from Regal Entertainment. We represent DJ Manish. She's you know, <laughs> well known for house and stuff." And within a month or so, we were being flown around Europe, playing shows for over 1,500 people, being paid up to 1,500 euro a night, uh, 1,000 euro a night. Crazy. Uh, so your friend was your manager, basically. No, he and I were co-DJs. We both oh, had co- our uh, oh. yeah, we worked together. <laughs> you were called so DJ happened, Manish together. DJ Manish and DJ Rockman. His name was right. Rockman. And then after that, mm-hmm. I went back to New York and started studying music at a music school called Dubspot Electronic Music. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, uh, I haven't had time to focus on it recently, but uh, it's coming back into oh. Pavlock, and I'm super excited because our company's not about shock, and our company's not about bad habits cessation. Our company mm-hmm. is about 
a mixture of behavior change and physical sensory input. And in particular, we're getting really good at manipulating electricity. Wow. Basically, in our new product that we've been testing out, if you plug in a audio jack, uh, you can feel the music. Ooh. And I mean, like, literally, your wrist is playing the music, and it's fucking cool. Like, and you can all, he- do you have to wear headphones to hear the music and feel the music on your wrist? Yeah, I mean, you can play it on a speaker. Yeah. And then you have this thing on your wrist. And so, I, and then it plays the beat or whatever. It plays the waveform oh, cool. on your wrist. Yeah. So, like, cool. all, as a DJ, I was like, holy crap. Like, if I had that when I was trying to mix music together, like, if I could feel the track A and then hear track B, yeah. it would be so easy to mix. Yeah. So, that was cool. But secondly, what I really want to do, I've never told anybody this on a, a podcast. Um, <laughs> But uh, this is like, I, God damn it, I want to do this. Maybe, probably not next year, but maybe the year after 2018. Mm-hmm. So imagine a music festival where there's cool DJs playing. And imagine that the price to get in is a Pavlock. Ooh. So either you have one and it's free, or you get one for 150 bucks or whatever, and you can come in for that show. Yeah. And you go and you watch a festival, and the only difference is that at, every, like, at, this, at this concert, the DJs can play your wrist as well as also play... Music. Yeah, that's cool. So everyone gets a feel. So imagine that festival would be pretty fun, right? But after that festival, suddenly you have a bunch of you know nineteen to, to thirty year olds who are wearing Pavlocks mm-hmm. who are going home, and now we can help them with their behavior change. But more importantly, like imagine they're there at the festival. I think there's so much cool stuff. You look up, and there's like a projection of the the crowd statistics, like number of steps walked, total number of drinks <laughs> had. Like that is the kind of festival I want to use. I want to do that again. Festival that analyzes everything. Exactly. Colors are auto generated by the human beings Mm -hmm. motion. That's the kind of stuff. So with music, these are my grand visions. These are the things I'm learning to stop thinking about so much and try to focus a little more. But, uh, in a year or two, I'd like to do one of those. I love that. I think that's very creative. I am, I imagine like just the wrist though is not enough. I'm sure people would want to sit in like a massage chair that plays the music for Mm -hmm. you. Definitely. Right. Yeah, so there's different ways to wear it, actually. So the cool thing about electricity is that it is conductive and it can go across distances, right? Really? Okay. So think about it. So like if you have like wires, you can like make wires as long as you want, as long as they cover the outside. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like what's cool is um, like I have a necklace that we made for Pavlock. Mm-hmm. It comes out in about two months. And uh, it conducts electricity into the top of the neck or the back of the back, yeah. the top of the back. So the zap is carried up there and it kind of like, instead of hand push, it like knocks you backwards. Wow. <laughs> and so like, that's a cool area, the back of the neck where you can play music. And, and when you do the music thing, it's not a shock. It's like a, a touch. It's like a squeeze. So it feels so, good according to yeah, you. Yeah, it feels, it feels good. It doesn't hurt. It feels good. I see. Um, uh, and on like, and, and you can do it in clothing so you can run like conductive Ooh. threads through clothing. Imagine you're playing a video game and someone and gets shot. Feel it in your, yeah. You feel it in the, exactly. That's what I'm trying to go for. I just want to be able to touch everybody when they should be touched <laughs> like digitally in a less than creepy way than that just sounded. No, 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 no. It makes sense. And then if, if you have that technology, like technically you could be Skyping someone across the world and then you touch a spot and then they feel that spot. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, exactly. And that's what the we have like feedback. a, yeah. Yeah. Like, um, a being able to send heartbeat vibrations, we mm-hmm. make like a, we're making like a chat thing that works both with Facebook messenger and our own, uh, system. Yeah. So like if you send someone who's a Pavlock user, like a smiley, it instantly, they get a double vibration that means mm-hmm. smile. Yeah. Um, so I want to add haptic feedback to conversation, yeah. communication, music, education, all that stuff. I think that that's a we're, lot. That's a huge umbrella. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's kind of like the smartphone. It's like a thing that needs to be everywhere, mm. but no one believes it yet. 
And uh, like it's obvious to me, it's been obvious to me for three years, and it hasn't got again. It's getting clearer how it works for me. Yeah. Um, getting people to experience this is. It's mind right, on the it's, consumer level. I, yeah. I think there's already technologies like this. I've seen other brands do similar things. So I think it's more of a question of who's going to win in the end. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm okay. Just another question. Like all of this electricity is this, have you done research on how it affects the body? You know, yeah, definitely. too much so that we, being bad for you. I can imagine it's kind of, so yeah, you can imagine, but it's uh, it's, it's definitely a great question. Is it bad for you? Um, the answer is we have definitely done our testing and we have worked very hard to make sure that our product is extremely safe and we're mm-hmm. CE and FCC cleared. We meet safety standards. And the main thing is this. Uh, in your brain, there's more amperage running at all times than in my padlock. Mm-hmm. Uh, and most importantly, if you ever feel the way we do it, it, really, like, uh, it, re- it charges these two little capacitors that releases a, a sensation. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't deliver a continuous pulse. And so that means that the safety level is extremely high because it doesn't have amperage. It has voltage. And okay. uh, long story short, it's very, very safe. <laughs> and also the last, right. the last part of that is that the, uh, the product connects over across like a two-inch barrier on your, on your wrist. Mm-hmm. So that's that the electricity never crosses through your body. It crosses through two inches on your wrist, just across okay. the skin. Okay. Cool. So last question I have for you, what advice would you give to anyone out there who wants to be you, whether it's aspiring tech entrepreneurs or lifestyle hackers, what would you, what do you have to say? Uh, it depends on what kind of me you want to be. Is it a traveling me or is it a blogging me or is it a a writing of books me or is it a a, a hardware me? Um, but I would say if you consider yourself to be extremely ADHD and you know you're the smartest person, but you can just never like get stuff done. And like, if that's you, um, you should really look into personality types and identify who you are because Mm -hmm. it's not about disorder. It's about, it's about focus versus creativity. It's Mm -hmm. that if people think that they don't get stuff done and they like to start stuff, but they don't get, they're not good at finishing stuff. It's not that they're broken; it's that they are creative. Yeah, and that so they how should, should surround they use them, that energy. They should surround themselves with people who are focused, who they mm-hmm. can who can close the gaps on the thing. They should go around breaking stuff and hire people around them to fix it for them. <laughs> yeah, awesome. That's the way. Yeah. So you heard it. If you feel like you're you have a weakness in any area, you need to find somebody else who is strong in that area. And nobody's broken. We're all special. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, for sure. I think that, uh, I think, I mean, it was awesome to talk to you. Yeah. No, thank you so much for being here. I loved it. You're so interesting. Thank you. And definitely check out uh, pavot.com slash lavender. We'll put up some notes and stuff. All right. You guys heard it. If you want to find out more about Pavlock and what Manish is building, visit pavlock.com slash lavender. So that's P-A-V-L-O-K dot com slash lavender. Today's episode was brought to you by Audible. So if any of you are interested in listening to an audiobook for free, you can get a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash lavendaire. Thanks so much for tuning in. My name's Eileen, and you just listened to The Lavendaire Lifestyle, the podcast on lifestyle design for millennials. Bye. Bye.